Amen. Amen. We'll go ahead and grab a seat. We just, uh, we just sang it. We just declared through song that we uh, need the Lord. And one of the primary ways that he has given himself to us, that he has uh, directed us, is through his word. So let's go ahead and turn our attention to his word now. So if you brought a copy of scripture, I'd encourage you to take that out, uh, whether that is in paper form, on your phone. Uh, many, of you are using our, many of you are using our scripture journals. If you don't have one of those, you are welcome to grab one. We have some at the uh, Connect Center. Um, but uh, if you would like a copy of scripture, you should be able to find one underneath your seat. If you have not already picked up, we, are, um, we want you to see it. I want you to see for yourself what we're looking at this morning in God's Word. It is uh, so good for us to be able to, uh, to see it. And what we're going to see this morning um, is uh, that Jesus, as he is meeting with uh, one of the Pharisees, a teacher in Israel, that there is a dividing line that is drawn. And, uh, you know, oftentimes I think there's lots of ways that we can group ourselves or that we get grouped by others, perhaps. You know, some of them are a little bit more distinct than others, right? Lots of ways that we get grouped. Uh, yesterday I was asked, you know, hey, are you a Badger fan? And I, um, you know, I responded to that. Yes, I am. I, I, do, uh, I do cheer for the Badgers, though I may not be as much of a Badger fan as some of you. Um, you know, maybe you're more of a Badger fan and you would say to me, I wasn't super broken up. I was disappointed that they lost, not super broken up. Maybe, you know, it kind of ruined your evening. And so you'd probably be more of a Badger fan than me. Uh, you know, so am I a Badger fan? Am I not? That kind of thing. I thought about some food categories, you know, some other categories. Speaking of like Halloween candy or food, candy corn, I found is a pretty, um, pretty polarizing candy. Uh, you either like it or you don't. Um, I don't know a lot of people, maybe you are this way where it's like, yeah, it's okay. Um, I just find that it's very, you know, either love it or hate it kind of thing. Um, Jeff and I, uh, Pastor Jeff and I have a um, kind of running disagreement about the, um, uh, the quality of oatmeal raisin cookies. Um, he uh, likes what I would consider a very inferior cookie. There are so many better cookies out there, and so why waste your time with an oatmeal raisin cookie? Uh, I know in Wisconsin here, uh, there's a bit of a fight that might break out at the uh, barbecue cookout if um, you put ketchup on a brat. Um, I'm okay with ketchup on a brat, I'll be honest. I like, I like a little ketchup. I like mustard too, uh, but some of you are like, you wouldn't be caught dead with ketchup on your brat, and you are offended when others would put that. And some of you are just now learning that that's a thing, but it is, okay, it is. Um, we had a bonfire the other night, and uh, uh, my kids, some of them like their marshmallows, their s'mores burned. Um, I am of the mindset that that is, uh, we are much too civilized for us to be burning marshmallows these days. Like, I, it's got to be a nice golden brown. If it does happen to burn, uh, work harder, try harder, let that thing burn and go again, okay? Like they're not that much, like just sacrifice the marshmallow, all of that, right? There are, there are some lines. And some of those, maybe those are like a little bit blurry, right? You're like, ah, sometimes I like candy corn. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I put ketchup on my broth. Sometimes I don't. Other lines are like a little bit more definitive. Like for example, just, you know, for example, yesterday we had cornhole. And the men played cornhole right here. We moved it inside. I know where you're going. Uh, moved it right inside here. We had just a great competition. There was people that left yesterday as losers, and some left as winners, okay? And, and you, you either won or you didn't. It was very clear. There was two people that won, and it was myself and <laughs> Dawson Lather, okay? So, yes, yes. People were a little offended. They were calling foul. Somehow the pastor can't be good at cornhole, too. It's like, hey, stick in your lane, pastor. That's what I'm, like, hearing. I'm like, no, like, it's okay. Like, I've, I've been practicing all... No, I haven't, but... 
just happened to be on, and I, I went home feeling good. My kids were a little shocked, actually. They're like, how'd it go? And I'm like, you won? You won? How many guys were there? And I was like, guys, come on. Like, you know, a little more support than that. But there are things, right, that divide us. There's, there's things that sort of separate us in this. And the passage that we're looking at this morning is not one of these gray sort of are you, are you not sort of things. And I think there's been some confusion to our English language and some of the terms that we've thrown around over the last few decades that maybe have brought some confusion to one of the words that we're looking at this morning. The title of the sermon this morning is called Born Again. And Jesus uses these words in a conversation with this Pharisee. His name is Nicodemus. And he talks about, and he says that you must be born again. Uh, one of the phrases that has been kind of popularized in our country is a born-again Christian. And uh, sometimes that's a, that distinctive is sort of put onto uh, Christian as if there's like, you know, there's born-again Christians and then there's other Christians or something like that. I think the point that Jesus is going to make, and we're going to see it, don't take my word for it, we're going to get into it here in a second, but I just want to kind of put it out there that there is a line that is drawn that Jesus is like, you are either born-again or you are not, right? You are either redeemed, brought to life, a follower of Jesus, or you are not. There is no middle ground. So unlike, again, our preferences around ketchup or candy corn or marshmallows, whatever it may be, this is very, very different. You are either born again or you are not not. And the point that is made here is this. Let me just kind of give you uh, the big idea. I like to do this, and you're going to see it as we walk through it uh, in this, is that I cannot be saved unless I am born again. You are not saved unless you are born again. All of us need to be born again. There's no one that is born that way, that is, uh, starts that way, that if I'm going to be saved, if I'm going to be redeemed by Jesus, then I need to be born again. Let me give an example or sort of a story to help um, kind of set this up. I think sometimes this is confused. Uh, years ago, um, in a uh, church that I served in, in in North Carolina, we had a student retreat, and uh, there was a young lady, a uh, middle school girl, that was on this student ret retreat, and through the weekend and through the teaching of God's word, she came to the place that she recognized that she was a sinner and that she was in need of a savior, and in her heart, she had uh, realized that she had never placed her trust, that she had never believed in Jesus as her Savior, that she had never received him as her Lord, her Savior in her life. And she prayed to receive. She expressed that through words, and uh, it was something that was true in her heart. And, and I believe in that moment and that weekend at that camp, she was born again. God did something in her heart that weekend. Well, upon going home, we were so excited to talk with mom and dad and tell them what had happened to their daughter, the decision that she had made, the work that God had done. And when we told them, mom replied with this. She said, oh, she did that years ago when she was just like three or four. Now, it's interesting because if you would have asked mom going into it, and maybe even if you asked the student going into it, is she born again? Mom for sure would have said yes. And even after what we expressed, she would have said yes. But if you ask the student, what she would have said is no. No, yes, you're right. I did pray a prayer. But what I came to realize this weekend is that I had never truly been born again. I had never 
cross that line. I had never moved to that place. And she would point that date as the time, the place when she was made new by Jesus Christ. This morning, we are here in this room, and the reality is this. Though though we can't see it, it's not my job or anyone else's job to judge it. God himself sees it. You are in this place this morning, and I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm not trying to, you know, kind of separate us out. But the reality is, is that we are either born again or we're not. All of us are in this place this morning. And there was a teacher that approaches Jesus, and that's what the story is this morning. We're going to see this approach, and and Jesus wants to make very clear what it means to be born again, what it means to be made new. And we're going to unpack some of this language that I'm using, because again, I think it sort of gets confused when we talk about born-again Christian and not as a born-again Christian. Somehow, like, there is a difference. So, If this is our big idea that I cannot be saved unless I'm born again, I think one of the questions we might want to then ask is, what does it look like to be born again? How do I know, right? What does God's word say? What does it look like if I'm born again? And that is what Jesus is going after here in his conversation with this man, Nicodemus, uh, here in God's word. Let's get into it. Let's read from God's word. Uh, Hopefully you have a copy out and you can follow along as I read here. We're in John chapter three, uh, beginning in verse one. It says this, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus responds in some level of kind of clarification, confusion, questions. He said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Uh, Here is the first thing. If we're trying to to see or answer the question, what does it look like to be born again? Well, when I'm born again, the first thing we see is this. I acknowledge my need. When I'm born again, I acknowledge my need. Uh, Let's uh, kind of unpack. This is what we like to do here. We're going verse by verse, line by line through this book together. So let's make sure we understand what's going on. Let's go back to verse one and uh, kind of look at this guy, Nicodemus. Uh, There's a lot of information packed into that first verse, and all of it's super important for us. It says there was a man of the Pharisees. Uh, The Pharisees, we're going to see a lot of the Pharisees as we walk through John together. Uh, The Pharisees, uh, maybe in your mind, are kind of like the bad guys. And uh, I I, I can see where we would get to that because the Pharisees are super opposed to Jesus. In fact, uh, some of you have told me, you said, hey, I took up your challenge to read through the book of John. I've read through it now. Uh, at least once or multiple times. And one of the things that stuck out to me is how many times the Pharisees opposed Jesus, how antagonistic they were to his message. And so a lot of times we are, I think, um, and, and, and again, not, not wrongly, but we put these Pharisees in this opposition uh, to Jesus. But one thing you have to understand is that the Pharisees uh, were, were very, very intentional in the way that they lived. They would have been respected in the society. They wouldn't have been seen as necessarily the bad guys. They would have been seen as super religious, super conservative, super strict, right? But they were um, very, very serious about their faith. 
And so Nicodemus is someone who is serious about his relationship or his, uh, I would say following rather, would be a better word, of God and his commands. Furthermore, we see that he was a ruler of the Jews. Uh, This is another way of saying that he was part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a special group of 70 70 men that were the ruling class, the ruling legislation of the Jews. And so he was set aside in that. And so he had some administrative oversight uh, into the people of God. All of Jews would follow the ruling leading of the Sanhedrin. So he was a ruler of the Jews. Uh, Furthermore, he's named Nicodemus. This was a common name. Uh, It's a Greek name transliterated into a Jewish name, but uh, there is good reason to believe that he came from a pretty aristocratic family. Uh, He has some wealth. We see this at the end of the book of John. He um, gives a large donation, a large gift to uh, the burial of Jesus. And so God is doing some things in his life, his heart. Um, But he is, uh, uh, you know, he has influence. He has power. He has knowledge. And uh, we also see Jesus even refers to him as the teacher of Israel in, uh, I believe it's either verse 10 or uh, verse 11. And so we're going to get to that here in a minute, but, but he says, you are the teacher. And so he might have been, uh, you know, either a prominent teacher or even as far as to say the greatest teacher in all of Jerusalem. And so here we have someone who is coming with like a bit of pedigree, right? Like he's got some, some, some things on, like some, some plaques hanging on his wall. He's got some, um, some credentials, some letters behind his name. He's got some, uh, some clout as he's coming to Jesus. Notice though, he comes by night. Oftentimes, this is, uh, you know, we kind of guess at what this means. Why does John include this detail, right? We said John doesn't really, uh, he doesn't waste words, And so why is it important that he comes at night? Well, it could have just been that's the coolest time or maybe that was the best time to have a long conversation. Uh, Some would would draw a line and say, well, he was maybe a little timid or for him to kind of step out the way that he was, was that. I don't know that that's necessarily it. More than anything, you know what I think? I think as you read through the book of John, you see this, this kind of dichotomy between light and darkness. I think John is pointing out the fact he's using, yes, he came to him physically at night, but he's pointing out the fact that John, that Nicodemus came to Jesus in a place of spiritual darkness, right? He came from darkness, even opposition to Jesus. He's opposed to it. So many times we see the dark opposes the light, right? And so Nicodemus, while he's coming and questioning, he's also coming with a bit of opposition to who uh, Jesus is. Notice what he says when he comes, verse three, or verse two, he says, Rabbi, This is teacher, it's a respectful term. He says, we know that you are a teacher, come from God. He's attributing, he's like, listen, we see your signs and we think that there's something special, right? No one can do these signs unless God is with him. Some of the things that you're doing, no one can do unless God is with him. What signs is he talking about? We don't know. John doesn't record those for us, right? Later at the end of the book, he says, there's many other signs that Jesus did that I didn't write down down here. In the passage right before, it says that he was doing, they saw many signs that he was doing. So he's in Jerusalem. He's doing signs. There's some things that he's doing. And so Nicodemus recognizes that there's something special about this Jesus. He says, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Do you guys see a question mark there? Is there a question being asked? I think there's a question being applied. He's like, hey, what gives, right? Like, what's going on? Like, who are you? How are you doing this? What's, what, what do I need to know about you? 
Jesus answers, right? He comes back. And one of the things, before we even just get to Jesus' words, I want to, again, remind you, we're talking about the teacher of Israel. We're talking about a Pharisee, a Sanhedrin. We're talking about someone who could intellectually spar with Jesus. And so Jesus talks on a pretty uh, high level, and he is meeting him where he's at. And so what does he say to him? He says, truly, truly, I say to you. That's a way of saying, listen, I tell you the truth. Listen up. You have to know this. You have to understand this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That wasn't what Nicodemus was asking about, right? He said, hey, what's up with these signs? How do you do these things? And he says, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That word there again, uh, it's the same word in Greek for from above. I think Jesus intended both. I think it was a second, a new birth, but I think it's a new birth that comes from above. It's something that God does. It's something that God generates. It's something that God creates in someone. Unless one is born again, unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is helpful to us because he's trying to interact with this. He's like, okay, what does that mean exactly? And uh, I don't think he's mocking. Um, He certainly is, uh, I think, trying to understand. But he's like, what do you mean by that, right? (laughs) That's the obvious question. He's like, you know, am I crawling back in there and coming out again? Like, how's that that going down? He's like, I can't, my my mom's not going to be a fan of this plan, all right? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Clearly, that's not what Jesus is saying, right? He's not talking about a physical thing. He must be talking about something different because that's not at all what it could be. But there is a second birth. There's a new birth that has to occur. And so Jesus says it again. He says, truly, truly, I say, I tell you the truth. This is a statement of authority. He's saying, listen, I'm not mincing my words here. I want to be very clear about this. You need to hear this. You need to understand this. He says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This phrase, water and spirit, is interesting. Uh, there's lots of debate. You know, what does this mean? What does it not mean? Is this baptism? Is this the Holy Spirit? Is this, you know, is this something? What, what is it? I think there's lots of places that we can go. But I think one of the places um, is Ezekiel uh, chapter 36. I don't have it on the screen for you, but hear it as I say it to you. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. You in your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is not far from the vision that Ezekiel had of the dry bones being raised to life and getting life in them. And so here's what we have here is we see that there is this rebirth that needs to happen um, in all of us. You see, if Nicodemus was in that place that he needed to be born again, then certainly all of us would fall into that place, right? Nicodemus comes to Jesus curious, but he's far from confessing him as promised Messiah. He says, hey, we notice the signs. We see that you are something special, Jesus is like, I tell you the truth, you have a need. You need to be born again. You need a new heart. You need to be regenerated. You need to be made new. And here's the thing. If, if I, if you, 
if we are going to be born again, it begins in recognizing the need that all of us have. Scripture is very clear about it, but we are all born into sin. We are sinners both in our nature and in our actions. Uh, because of our very nature, the, what we uh, got from um, our, our, we've inherited it through, uh, through Adam and Eve all the way down to our, we are born into sin. Like we come out as sinners. We're not, we're not perfect and then polluted by the world. We come into the world already with this propensity, this desire, this nature to sin. Then we continue to confirm it in the ways that we choose to sin right? It doesn't take kids long before they start to choose things. And you and I, I think if we look at the world, what we see is not things getting better, right? I mean, just this week, right? We see on the news, it is terrible what is happening in the Middle East. And, and you see all of the atrocity that's being uh, done. And then it's, it's super complicated because now there's war and all these things that are going on. It's like people aren't getting better. They're not coming from a good place. They're operating from a place of need of sin. And we are in that same spot. Not one person is exempt from this. When we're talking about the teacher of Israel, ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee, I mean, for sure, Nicodemus had the first five books. The Torah was memorized. Pharisees memorized those books. Some of you have a hard time reading those books. They memorized them. He knew all 613 commands, right? He knew every one of them. And he was so careful to do each and every one of them. But what does Jesus say to him? He says, unless you are born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Unless you are regenerated and made new, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. What is that saying? That's saying you have a need, Nicodemus. And I want to guarantee you that Nicodemus came to that meeting with probably the understanding, hey, if anyone's going to make it, it's going to be me, right? I'm in. I'm part of the kingdom. I'm good. I've done what needs to be done. I have been as good as there can be according to the law. And what Jesus is saying is it doesn't matter. You can't do it on your own. You're not good enough, Nicodemus. You need to be born again. That's what he's saying. And so if we're going to be born again, we have to begin by recognizing our need. Do you? Do you see? Do you understand that you have a need? You need a new heart. You need to be reborn. You need to be born again. What does that mean? What does that look like? Let's keep going. Verse 6, he continues on. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. What's the next thing Jesus is saying here? He's saying, listen, if you're gonna be born again, you need to respond to the spirit. The Spirit is the one that's working. The Spirit is the one that's doing this. This isn't something that you do to yourself. Let's go back. Let's unpack this. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, right? You're born as a person. You have a body, a, a physical being to you, and that is your, 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 your physical side. But he's like, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. This is something totally different, totally new, and this is something that only the Spirit of God can do. And you see that he kind of calls him out there, right? He's like, listen, if you know your scriptures so well, right? He would have had the Old Testament copies, access, especially as a Pharisee. He would have had access and time in the scriptures. And he's like, how do you marvel at what I'm saying? Is that not apparent? Is that not obvious from the Old Testament? What has been said of this regeneration, this new birth? He's like, don't marvel at it. You must be born again. 
Then he goes on to say, he says, the wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, you don't know where it comes, you don't know where it goes. We experienced some wind this week, didn't we? Right? There's so much wind, it was kind of crazy, and uh, I was glad yesterday afternoon, I walked outside, and it stopped. And uh, wind is, I don't mind wind, um, but, but sometimes wind can be a little frustrating. Um, uh, we've, uh, our kids, we, one of our family activities is like having a bonfire. I said that, you know, we had a bonfire this week, and so um, it was kind of funny because... Um, We've, we've scheduled and canceled like multiple family bonfires. We've said, hey guys, we're gonna do a bonfire tonight. And then like the weather's terrible. And, or it's too hot, right? Too cold. You need it just right. You don't want it so cold, but you don't want it so hot. You know, you just, just right, all that. And so um, we had a bonfire this week and, um, and it was not the greatest weather for it. But we said we were going to do it, and we're like, we're just going to do it, okay? Like, I, I'm not going to cancel another one. I'm not going to tell them, because they love bonfires. We love sitting around. We love making s'mores. We love telling stories. Um, our new thing this week, we, uh, I taught the kids. I made this up on the spot, but it worked out amazing. We were roasting Doritos on our bonfire, okay? Um, so we had Doritos out there. We had a bag, and we were, we were holding them out there, and we were warming them up. You'd hold them out for five seconds, let it cool for three, pop it in your mouth, they thought it was fantastic. And I was like, this is gross, but you think it's amazing, okay? So that's what we were doing. But here's the thing, throughout the whole bonfire, the wind is shifting and moving and going. And like, we couldn't find, like all of us were getting smoke in the face, right? Every one of us, there was not a good place to sit. And you don't know, like none of us could see. We had, we had no idea where the wind was coming, where it's going, but we could see its effect, right? It was very obvious that the wind was at work there in our little fire, so it is with the Spirit. We don't know where it's coming. We don't know where it's going, but we can see that it is at work. And what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, he's like, if you're gonna be born again, you need to respond to the Spirit's moving, the Spirit's blowing. The word for Spirit is also breath or wind. It's, it's a movement that is happening. Now, make no mistake, the Spirit is not some, um, you know, force. It's a uh, an impersonal force or something like that it is a person. It's the third person of the Trinity. But the Spirit is at work and the Spirit is moving. And so this isn't something that we do to ourselves. It's something that God does to us. He's the one who's regenerating. He's the one that's making new. It's such a good thing that we know. And I know some of us, we get really tripped up on that. The Bible teaches, I just want to be clear about this. The Bible teaches the doctrine of election. And some of us kind of explain that away or trying like that God chooses whom he's going to work in it. And some of us were like, well, what is that? Like, so that means he doesn't choose other. But here's the other thing is that scripture says that we all need to choose him, right? That we respond. And you're like, how do I reconcile those things too? Does God choose or do I choose? And I believe scripture says yes, right? Yes. Both are presented and God has no problem trying to like put that and package that in a way that your finite mind is gonna understand it. I don't understand it either. Here's what I think. I think from this side of eternity, it looks a lot like we chose him. I think on the other side of eternity, we're gonna see that, oh yeah, God, it was you who chose me, right? We are so lost. We are in such need that we cannot even get to the place that we regenerate our hearts, right? That's not something we do. God does that in us. But we respond to him in that. That's what he's saying. I respond to the Spirit's working. So the Spirit's working, I respond to it. The wind is blowing, I respond to it. Right? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, so it is everyone who is born of the spirit. I respond to the spirit. Let's continue on, verse nine. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? He's like, if you don't get it, 
what hope do the rest of us have, right? Like how, how, how's everyone else gonna understand these things? You are the teacher, not a teacher, the teacher. Here we go again, that third truly, truly, those of you that grew up KJV, verily, verily, right? I'm telling you the truth. I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. Is Jesus speaking like of the Trinity? Is he speaking of him and the Father? Or is he speaking of those with the disciples? I think maybe the disciples are there with him and he's like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're, we're giving witness. We're giving testimony to, right? See the language there, it shifts. We speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended into heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Again, I told you, Jesus is talking on and at Nicodemus' level. He knows the scripture. That's why he's calling him out this way. What do you mean you don't understand? Have you not read? Have you not seen? Does not the scripture point to what I am doing here, the things that I am telling you? And this is our third thing that we see. If I am born again, then I look to Jesus. I look to Jesus. So many signposts, so many, so many breadcrumbs, so many threads were laid for us in the Old Testament scriptures that were pointing to Jesus. But he's like, here, he's like, I'm talking about things that are going on right now, right? These are earthly things. This conversation is about earthly things. He's like, if you don't understand me in this way, how am I supposed to tell you about all the heavenly things that there are? He's like, no one, no one has ascended to heaven, yet I have descended from heaven. I am bringing to you great truth, truth you need to hear, truth you need to know, truth you need to understand. He boils it all down and he uses one of the, I think, the greatest, clearest pictures that we have of what Jesus came to do. It's right there for us in uh, John uh, 3.14. It says, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus doesn't need to unpack that for Nicodemus. Nicodemus knows exactly what that is, right? This comes right from Numbers 21. It's recorded. The people of uh, Israel, uh, the Jewish people, were uh, wandering and making their way uh, out from the Red Sea, and they began to murmur and to complain and to grumble. And it says what the Lord did is he sent fiery serpents. These fiery serpents would bite. I think the reason they were called fiery serpents is because they would bite, and then they would create this fever, and it would lead to death. And there were many that died. It says many people of Israel died. And then the people came to Moses, and they're like, we've sinned. We've grumbled before the Lord. We've sinned. Like, what are we supposed to do? Uh, pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And God answers Moses. And what he said, this was God's instruction to Moses. He says, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, uh, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. And so Moses took bronze and he made a bronze serpent. He set it on a pole and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze servant, a serpent and he would live, all right? So the people are being punished. They're being judged for their disobedience, their disagreement, their, their lack of faith or trust in God. And the punishment, the result is these fiery serpents. People are dying. Moses, when he put together this bronze serpent, it's up on this pole, lifted up, 
right? So people could see if they were bit, they would go, they would look at that. And by looking at it, by putting their gaze upon it, they were saved. Doesn't say if it was bit multiple times, how big of a bite it was, how, where that bite was. It just says if they were bit, they were to look upon the serpent and then they would live. And they did. And they did. And so he says, he says, listen, in the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. How clear, how much more clear of a picture can we get? Right? Jesus was crystal clear on his mission. He knew exactly why he came. When was Jesus lifted up? The Son of Man is his favorite description for him, himself, right? When was the Son of Man lifted up? He was lifted up onto the cross, right? He was put up on the cross. And it's in looking to him, it's in setting your gaze upon him that one is saved, that one may live. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And that word eternal is so good. It's not just that it lasts, it's that it lasts and it's full, it's abundant. It's the kind of life that you would want to live forever because it's a life that is right with him, the one who made you the God of creation, the God of the Bible. And it says here, whoever believes in him, in Jesus, the son of man, may have eternal life. That's what he's saying here. And so if I am born again, what do I do? I look to Jesus. I look to Jesus for my salvation. And here's the reality is that there's so many times, right? All the times that we look to so many other things in our moment of need, in our time and place of need. How many, <laughs> how clear was it for the people that were bitten by the serpent what they were to do, right? Like rubbing, you know, grandma's kind of special concoction on that, that wasn't gonna do it, right? Just giving it a few days, uh, eating some special food, uh, you know, kind of doing some dance or singing like a song, any of that. None of that's going to do it. You get bitten by the serpent. How do you find relief? How do you find life? You look to the bronze serpent lifted up on the pole. That is how you find life. For you and I, we find ourselves in a place of need. Again, if you've started by recognizing your needs, saying, listen, I need something, what do I do? Well, we try and look to all sorts of other things. Where do you think all of these world religions have come from? Everyone's trying to find their own path. Everyone's trying to find their own answer. And I will go as far as to say that the enemy is very happy to help push that along, right? To answer some of those calls. There are false gods. There are, and the enemy is at work. People are misguided and misled. They're trying. They're trying to find where to look. Where do I look? And what Jesus is saying is, listen, you look to me. It's upon looking to the Son of Man lifted up that you will receive eternal life. And maybe, maybe it's not a, a world religion that you're being pulled by. Maybe it's not another uh, errant way of thought. Maybe it's just the world itself, right? We fill our need with so many things. We take good things, make them ultimate things. We take good things and we make them gods in our life. And we try and find our need through that. And the scripture couldn't be more clear. Jesus couldn't be more clear. He says, look to me. Look to the Son of Man lifted up on that cross. That is where we need to fix our gaze. There is nowhere else that you are going to find the hope that you need. You are not going to be regenerated. Your new heart is not going to come from any other source. But when you look to the Son of Man lifted up, I look to Jesus, and the next thing is, I believe in Jesus. I don't just look, I believe. It says, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's continue on in verse uh, 16. It says this, it says, for God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only son. Does it sound familiar? Have you heard this verse before? This is where it comes from. This is the context in which it was said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Why did Jesus come? Did he come to condemn? No, he came to save. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. God came, he sent his son because he loved the world and he has called us to believe in him. And again, what did I say at the beginning? Jesus is drawing a line and he's saying, Nicodemus, you either believe or you don't. The curiosity, the proximity, the conversation, none of that was going to save Nicodemus. What was very clear through Jesus' conversation, we don't know, is this this Jesus' words here in that moment or is this John's commentary on it? I think we would have more, um, I would take more stock in that this is kind of John's commentary on it later rather than the words that Jesus is speaking here in that moment. We don't really know. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't change it. This is still God's words, whether it was said in that moment or uh, recorded by John later. But it says, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. He loved not just the Jewish people, not just the Pharisees, not just the Sanhedrin. He loved the world, the nations, all the peoples of the world. Why? Because he made all the peoples of the world. He is all the people's God. God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only son. He sent Jesus to earth to live and ultimately to die. Whoever believes in him, who's him? Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have eternal life. You guys, this is one of the most popular, most memorized verses in the scriptures because it is one of the most succinct captures of who God is, what he has done, what the mission of Jesus is all about. He came to seek and to save the lost He came to save the world. And only in believing in him can we have eternal life. Guys, if nothing else, my hope is this morning, if you have already believed, if you have already been born again, my hope is that you will walk away from this this morning and that you will understand, that you will declare that Jesus is amazing, that salvation is awesome. Like how in the world would God do this for me? Yet he does. He loves you so much that he sent his son for you. And Jesus lived a life perfect. Before the law, he was perfect. He had no reason to die. He was not guilty of any sin. And yet he was hung on that cross. He was killed by the hands of Roman soldiers. That death was a death that you and I deserve. He died for us. It says without the shedding of sin, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Or sorry, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. That is what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was shedding his blood so that sin could be forgiven. It could be atoned for. The price could be paid. The debt would be wiped clean by him. That is what Jesus is doing. And so how are you? How am I? Born again? We're born again when we believe in Jesus and what he has done. You see, God came. He sent his son into the world, not to condemn, but to save When we believe, we are not condemned. And I just want to be very clear. This is not a one-time salvation. This is a salvation for your life. I hear all the time, you know, you're either saved or you're not, right? You're either adopted. When you, at the moment of salvation, we talk about the moment of salvation. Some of you are like, I don't know when the moment of my salvation was. 
I know at one point I was kind of curious, and I know at one point I, I, I think I, you know, I, I recognize or see the Spirit's work in me. I know, but where that exact moment happens, I don't know. Listen, you don't need to know, but God needs to know, and he sees it. And at that moment, things happen. Scripture is super clear on this. Not, not, I'm not, this isn't an exhaustive list, but when you come to faith in Jesus, a whole bunch of things happen. It's, uh, God's word says that you are adopted into his family. You are now a son or daughter of his. It says that you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, that he places his spirit inside of you. It says that you are brought from death to life. You are no longer dead. You are made alive. Your uh, standing before God has been uh, wiped righteous and clean, that, that there is forgiveness over you. It says that you are now regenerated, that you are, you are being made new. There is this born again. And so <laughs> the idea that someone could, could enter into life and then die again by something that they did is just crazy. It's not anything that scripture would, would speak of. Now, again, a lot of us, maybe our mind goes to those that we might know of or say that maybe at one point they professed, at one point it looked like there was life. Now they've walked away from that. And again, we, you and I don't have the same perspective that God does. Maybe they're going to return again. Maybe that's still in progress. Maybe that's still in work. Or maybe they were never saved at all. But the reality is this, those whom he saves, he cannot lose. Those who are made alive cannot die again. This is the truth, the good news of Jesus. And I just want to tell you, it's a whole lot more important that you understand what it means to be born again than what it means to that you prayed a prayer at some point in your life. The prayer is great. I'm not down on prayers. In fact, I would encourage you today, if you are feeling God moving in your heart, you're, you're sensing the Spirit drawing you, saying, listen, you've never done this. You've never responded this way. You've never been born again. That you should mark that with some words, that you should pray. It's really good for us. But it's not the prayer that saves. Do you see that? It's the work of Jesus and your belief in him that leads to salvation. That is what saves. It's that looking at, that believing in, and it's God's regenerative work in your heart. He's the one who gives you the new heart. He's the one that makes you new. He's doing the work. Let's continue on. Verse 19. Let's finish this up. It says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does that which is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What we see is that those who have been born again, if I have been born again, then I walk in the light. I walk in the light. One of, the ways, one of the ways that you can know that you're born again is if you like, if you enjoy, if you want to walk in the light, right? What does it say there? It says those that are in darkness, they hate the light. Who or what is the light? What did we see in verse one or chapter one? It says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome. And who's the light? It says him was life and the life of the light of men. Jesus is the light. And so darkness hates the light. Darkness hates Jesus it hates him. It hates what he brings. It hates his message. It hates all of that. This is the place. This is where all of us are in. But yet, when Jesus gives us a new heart, when the Spirit regenerates our heart, when we are born again, we no longer hate the light. We love the light. We want to be in the light. We want our, our works exposed. We want to see that. It's not that we have to. We get to. We are so ready to be in the light. 
There's so many examples, right, that we could look at and think about in darkness and light. And John goes into many more of these. Uh, I think of uh, times that I've been in some sketchy, um, you know, some sketchy uh, mission trips or even some sketchy hotels where uh, you can hear something crawling and you turn on that light, right? What happens? Scatters, kind of goes. You're like, what was that? Right? <laughs> well, we've got to get out of here. Like, you know, like those, those, those little things, they don't like the light. They don't want to be, they want to do their things in the dark. Last night was Verona homecoming. I had to go out and... It, was, it worked out okay, but last night I had to go out and just talk to a few, few high schoolers that thought that right next to our house was a great place to park their cars and play their bass and take their selfies and do whatever else they were doing. I'm like, it was like 11 o'clock at night. I go out and I'm like, hey guys, what are we doing? <laughs> they were super polite about it. They left right away. Um, but uh, I was like, can we do that somewhere else? You find another neighborhood to go bother. <laughs> I don't know where they went. Hopefully they didn't go to your neighborhood, but they were, they were right next to our bedroom. Oh, everyone's in bed. Everyone's asleep. I was trying to be asleep. And then the bass was just, I gave it a few minutes. Okay, just lest you think I'm that guy. But, but what's happening? They saw a dark place, a dark part of the street. There's no, like, they're kind of like next to the park sort of thing, next to our house. And they're like, this is where we're going to have our, our little time. And uh, they were super polite, really great. I, you know, they were fine. But what are they doing? They're doing some things in the darkness. When I came up, it was like light had shined. They're like, I'm sorry, sorry, sir. Like, I mean, I love it when people call me sir. That was great. I'm like, that's great. You guys are just being super polite. Thanks so much. But seriously, you gotta go. You gotta get out of here, right? And they did. They went. Here's the thing. We want, if you are in the light, we want to be in the light. If you have been born again, you want your wickedness, the things that still remain exposed Everyone who does what is true comes to light. That may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Listen, one of the ways that you can tell if you have been born again is if you desire for more and more light to shine into the dark parts of your heart, right? We all have those places. We all have those things. God's still working on us. He's patient. He doesn't do it all at once, but we want the light exposed. If we look back at this list, this is a pretty good indication. And what Jesus is trying to do right there with Nicodemus, he's trying to say, listen, you haven't been born again but this is what it looks like. It looks like acknowledging your need. It looks like responding to the Spirit's working and prompting and drawing to yourself. It looks like looking to Jesus, believing in Jesus, and then walking in the light. This is what it looks like to be born again. My question for you today is, have you, have you been born again? Is this something that you have responded to? Is this something that God is doing in you, that he's done in you? Do you have a time? Do you have a place? Can you look back and say, yes, Jesus has made me new. He's given me a new heart. He's brought me to life. He's made me new. He's saved me. I hope you do. If you don't, today could be the day you can respond by faith, by looking to Jesus, believing in him. I would encourage you, mark that with some prayers. In fact, let's bow our heads right now and let's pray to him. In this moment, if you're here in this place, I just wanna to speak to you. If you've never responded to the saving work of Jesus in your life, I would say today could be the day that you respond. And maybe you need to mark that with some words. And those words could be something like this, God, I acknowledge my need. I acknowledge my sin. I repent of the things that I have done that are far from you, that haven't matched you, that have fallen short of your glory. And Lord, I'm responding to you now. I believe that you are Jesus, that you are who you say you are, that you are the son of God, that you have worked to save and to and to redeem and to make me new. And Jesus, I put my faith, I put my trust in you as my savior. Bring me into the light. 
God, thank you for your saving work in my life. God, I put my faith and my trust in you. If you've prayed that prayer or something like it, if that is the cry of your heart, again, the words are not important. It's a display of your prayer. Then I want to tell you today that you have been born again, that you've been regenerated, that you've been made new, that you've been given life, that the Spirit is at work within you, and your eternity is now different. You now can see the kingdom of God because of the work that Jesus has done in you. God, we thank you so much for your saving work. God, we thank you for your saving truth. God, we thank you for the cross of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood, for living your life. God, for offering your forgiveness, your salvation, for welcoming us into your family. God, we give you praise for who you are. We declare that here in this place. God, we thank you for who you are and all that you have done. God, we give you all the glory. In your son's name, amen.